0: Do send in your questions, wisdom, observation, experiences for our our parenting segment today. We're talking about language development in the first 1,000 days and how uh, to best uh, help right across the village. And uh, It Takes a Village is, of course, the title of our parenting segment. How to help children become great communicators in the first crucial years of a child's life. A baby's brain doubles in size in their first year of life and will be four-fifths the size of an adult brain by the third birthday in those first thousand days 80 percent of neural connections will be made our guest is the speech and language therapist emma quigan who says the language environment babies experience makes all the difference to their development during this period of tremendous growth emma who is Nike chahu is co-president of the speech and language therapists association she teaches at massey university and is co-founder of talking matters which partners with Fano communities practitioners iwi and government to build and support language-rich environments for children. Uh, tēnā koe, Emma. Welcome to 9 to 9. Thanks for your time. Kia Thank you for having me today. It's such uh, an incredible time of human development. Everyone focuses on the first thousand days and, of course, uh, language Um, in the beginning of language as part of communication, um, so pivotal as well. Just recap on the incredible changes in the human brain in those first thousand days. Well, you captured it so well. So
1: much is happening constantly. And when we think about the number of brain cells that are developing and the myelination, so that's like that insulation stuff that goes over each of the synapses, so the highway passing information on that can sound kind of heady and you think oh well what does that mean in everyday contexts it means that a day's work for a baby playing looking around at things singing songs it's probably the equivalent to the hardest day's work us as adults would ever have in our lives when you think about what's happening to them on a minute level every time they have an interaction it's actually meaning something for how their brain is growing every time they look at a book it's actually growing new brain cells. So sometimes it helps for us to just bring it back down to earth and think, so what does that mean for these babies and toddlers right in front of us right now?
0: And that beautiful initial connection, watching parent to child or carer to child and just watching that facial interaction, they they mirror, of course, this is how they begin to learn everything about human connection and human communication. It's such a beautiful thing to watch it happening. It is. It's just gorgeous. Um, Yeah, it can bring
1: tears to your eyes when you see just you almost can see what's going on inside. Um, So it's not just learning, it's that, like you say, the connection, the um, love that's growing and developing. So, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's so cool as well to hear you explain this because not long ago when Alison Sutton and myself were um, setting up Talking Matters, which is still growing strong today, it did feel like news to people. And they were saying, oh, so what? Like, what's actually happening with babies? I thought they were just... You know, you need to keep them alive by feeding them and make sure they're okay. But today it is much more known and understanded how much a baby is learning in this time. So I, it's it's really heartening to see that.
0: Yeah, uh, look, it's so instinctive often when you will watch that parent-to-child communication again and, and, and all the yeah. goo-gooing and the, and the babbling, and and you'll often see the infant staring at Kara's lips, and just literally mm-hmm. watching. The other thing I love about babies, in particular, is the way they seem to have about a hundred different emotional expressions within thirty seconds. You know, they're smiling know. one minute, <laughs> then they're frowning, then they're laughing, and then um, and and it's kind of an insight into all that is going on within that remarkable brain. Shall we exactly. talk with with early communication? Then, as we develop language skills, what what really does matter, and is all that babbling and sort of baby talk and silly talk really matter not only for bonding um, but for the infant to begin to understand human communication Mm,
1: it does it does matter and if we start with thinking about that concept of trust of our babies and when i say our babies i really like the title that you guys have of your show it takes a village because when we think about the wider whanau the wider community the wider context They are our children. They're going to be our future leaders, our future friends, colleagues, everything. So we need to trust that our babies are listening to us and taking things in. And if we start with that place of trust, we are seeing the mana of that baby as every baby is born with mana. It's not something they earn, they have it. And if we trust our babies, we're seeing their humanity. We're seeing them as a person with likes, dislikes, not someone that needs to be filled up with knowledge, but that it's already there. And we're walking alongside them to help it unfurl and providing those opportunities. So, yeah, if we start with trust, we do start to see children quite differently, don't we? We Trust that they're able to learn, that they are learning.
0: One of the most amazing interviews I think I ever had was with, um, I've got the words just has gone out of my head now, an anthropologist, and she explained why babies will smile. And, you know, that... Absolutely infectious, light up a room, smile, often to a complete mm-hmm. stranger or you know, mm-hmm. in the street, and they have a they have a sense that they need to connect, not just yeah. with the primary caregiver, and we know that attachment is so important, but they need to connect with everybody in their world because they know they need help, right? And 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 the, yeah. they're the best. At forming new relationships and reaching out to form new relationships, and that smile and that cute um, projection is a part of reaching out to connect. So, we're not. Yeah, you're just... quite right, and they're
1: not doing it. I mean, people used to say those early smiles were wind, were wind exactly, you might have heard a it Oh, you know they're windy. It's not a real smile, but we actually do know that they are trying to seek connection. So that tells us something about how smart babies actually are. They're able to have that control to go, hey, look at me, talk but to me, interact with me.
0: It also speaks to all of us, though, that when we all interact with that infant and, you know, we need to do it respectfully. We don't want to be winding someone up just before sleep because it's fun for us. But, but when we <laughs> interact, or interact with that baby and we respond to that baby and make eye contact, we're actually collectively helping build that communication skill, Right. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: definitely. And even not winding up, if we start to look at the cues that babies give us, hmm. they'll actually tell us when they need a break as well. You know, when a baby sort of looks away for a moment, that's them communicating to us, give me, I'm going to take five. It's too much. So when we really pay attention, they're able to get what they need if we notice So sometimes it is flipping some of our old assumptions. And these are like the colonial assumptions in New Zealand. If we look from a Maori perspective, pre-colonisation, we've been doing this for a thousand years at least in terms of noticing what babies learn, paying attention, responding to their cues and seeing them as inherently part of society, not people to be ferried around from place to place and put it in the corner, but actually part of
0: society. So... Yeah. What are some of those cues? So we've talked about trust, now we're talking about noticing because this communication is two-way. It's not yeah. you to baby or me to child, it is two-way. So what are we looking for in those cues? And let's stay with infants, we'll work through those first thousand days but let's stay with quite young babies um, yeah. and just pick up on that theme of what we're looking for, what cues we need to receive. So there are some of the I mean, the obvious ones like babbling it's really
1: easy to see they're making a noise and you think, oh, you're talking about, you're telling me things. But some of the more subtle cues with really small babies might be their eye gaze. So where they're looking, that's telling us something of what they're interested in. So of course we can respond to that by describing it, by bringing it over to them, by starting an interaction about their interests. It might be when they're getting a bit older, more around say nine months or so, they might start pointing that pointing is them inviting you into their world and saying, hey, look, I've noticed this balloon up in the sky. I have noticed that cup of coffee you're drinking. Sometimes people go, oh, well, then what do I say to that? Just anything like we would with another adult or another person. They've invited you in. They've used all the skills at their disposal, pointing, eye contact, maybe a giggle, so we use what skills we've got. We might laugh back. We might point as well. We might describe it for them. Also, around that time, it might be that infants start passing us objects. Again, that's their way of inviting us in. Hey, you have a turn. We know that children start to pass their like um, chewed up crackers and things around that age. And Sometimes we think, ugh, I don't want this. And I see you know, friends say, oh, ta, and then put the cracker down. But actually, if we can take a moment, we can't talk all the time because we do have busy lives, but if we can take a moment to describe that cracker, say thank you, talk about what they're eating, because we are acknowledging that that baby has said, hey, do you want to buy it? Well, have a look at what I've got. That is their way of communicating. And like you said earlier, communication goes both ways. It's not a single hand thing. It's not something we do to babies. It's something we do with babies. We communicate with them.
0: So course, notice, they: get Yeah Yeah, notice and respond, right? And, and, and this is the response that you're talking yeah. about.
1: Yeah, and it's that simple. Notice what they're interested in and respond to them. It's the basics for human relationships with anyone, and we're quite good at doing it with our peers, so we can do it with babies. We notice what people we care about are interested in, and we respond to them. So let's do the same to babies.
0: You mentioned that we're busy and often uh, Mm -hmm. in in our modern lives and in our um, society or parts of our society anyway, it's become very individualized. It might be one carer Mm -hmm. at any given point in time. It might be one carer primarily the whole time. And we've lost Mm -hmm. many of us um, that, that sense of connection or we just don't have the people around us every day to share the load. What is your message? Find those people, right? Because it's not just sharing the load of caring. It's the stimulus that having a variety of people around can bring for, ba- for baby or for, for a, a young child. Uh, there are mm-hmm. many benefits to trying to find and build that community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I'd say, Catherine, we've all got a part to play. Uh, with this in terms of what kind of society we want to create. If we want our children to be great communicators, we need to be open for those spaces. So have spaces that babies and toddlers are welcome to be in and include them in those conversations. So I often say to the students at Massey that I teach, we've got to stop thinking about giving strategies and supports just to mum. As so often, you know, when there's any kind of support for a child, oh, the parents can do this. And it often falls on mum. You can read to them. You can play with the baby. You can try this activity. And it's actually so much just for one person. And one person can't be everything to another person. So it does mean thinking about wider context, wider whānau, and making spaces available where people can interact with the baby and it being normalized. So not, you know, I guess, what does that mean for your everyday person? If you're at the supermarket and in the queue, You've got a baby cooing and babbling to you and trying to play peek- peekaboo. <laughs> Joining in for a moment, you might not know that baby, but actually you're lighting up their brain cells then. You're giving that mum or dad a break for five minutes and you're actually sending a message to that child that they are welcome in this space, that their voice is heard and that they are noticed. And what better message could we be sending to our children?
0: You're so right. It's all those opportunities, and it's also fun. That's something else. It feels really good, like human connections and moments of special connection. They're they're to be treasured, you know, not to stick in. I've got so many emailers coming in already saying put down the mobile phones, and that is a story for all of us, right? It's not just, you know, parents who might be at a sports event or something and trying to save up some time. All of us put down the damn phone and engage with the humans around us and particularly the little humans around us. And I think you're uh-huh. alluding also to this idea that, you know, people are often embarrassed or ashamed if they're, I don't know, they're, they're in a shop or at a cafe or somewhere public and, and baby's crying or, you know, toddler is crying. Like, that's normal. <laughs> it's yeah, not, you, you, there's no need to, to, to sort of run away and hide. I understand why people might feel that. We need to make that normal, and we need to be the distraction—the mm-hmm. person standing next to them in the queue who makes a face and distracts toddler. And I—I I went past a little kid the other day who fell off his skateboard. Bless him, was having a big cry, and <laughs> and I just, you know, I scored oh, a flash board. How good are you, you know? And I oh. don't feel embarrassed about doing that. Um, but we need to make back to your point. We need to notice. Yeah. Well, every moment like
1: that adds up. And, you know, I often get asked in my various roles, well, what what do parents need to do to create confident communicators? It is simple stuff, like what we're talking about, and every single person in Aotearoa plays a part. And if we could all see that, you know, not glaring at the person at the cafe who's got a crying baby and thinking, yep, well, that toddler's having a meltdown because that's how they communicate and that's the skills they've got right now and they're communicating something. So I'll save that nasty glare and not not look at them. Actually, by doing that, if everyone's starting to think those ways, we are creating language-rich environments for our children. We're creating the opportunity to use the skills you have and the opportunity to add and extend their thinking. So that conversation you had with that little boy with the skateboard, it all adds up. And actually, when we realise how simple it is to be able to communicate with children and that it's the cumulative experience of words, gestures, wayata,
0: song, that all adds up, it's not that hard for us to do our bit. Reading. And um, the time to read, for some people, the confidence to read, for the mm-hmm. fact that many of us have migrated on to doing things visually. Well, um, you know, oh, God, we all do it. If I'm yeah. wanting to find out something, how to fix something, now I don't read about it, I get up a YouTube video. But mm-hmm. to encourage yep. reading, and that early reading, of course, is again about primarily what? It's about connection. And, yep. and experience. Um, where do we seek the the richest and and the the most ways we can bring reading into young one's lives?
1: Well, we've talked a lot this morning already about normalisation. So it is normalising sharing a book. And I think sometimes messages get to parents of, it's so important to read, read with your baby and things like that. And they might have this impression of a well-behaved child sitting on their lap consuming a story. When we know in reality that that might not happen until the kid's three or four. And for some children, they won't do that. So to know that that 30 seconds of looking at a book, opening up the title page, saying a few things and closing it, or bub turning a few pages and you providing some commentary is actually exposure to reading. And those are the skills that babies need. Every time they've actually interacted with the object itself, opened the book, closed it, you might even be just saying, open, shut, open, shut. That's all adding up. And I think parents need to be, have it affirmed that that's okay. And
0: perhaps you won't get through the book and don't feel like you need to. It's often the worst things we do when we're reading with youngsters is be determined to read every word and turn the page now. They want to go backwards. They want to look at the last picture and think about what that know. was. Uh, I mean, it's
1: like yeah. building a tower of blocks. We can get so obsessed with completing the task, <laughs> and then like, hold on, why are we doing? We we're actually wanting to have a nice time um, with our children, not build the tower.
0: So that's not going there. It's going here. I'm the grown up. I yeah. decide. Um it, yeah. it, it occurs to me also. There's a reason reason why books are often hard um, when they're for infants. They're mm-hmm. meant to be chewed, probably, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Right. And- yeah. Um, Well, that's a very instinctive thing for any infant to do, is to put something in in, in their mouth. Um, You mentioned wa'ata, and actually a lot of other wisdom coming in here from people, talking, singing, counting, um, the rhythm of language and um, the rhythm of singing. I mean, all those silly songs in the car um, as well. Whatever the context, there is a really powerful rhythmic learning of language that happens with wa'ata, with song, um, w- with nonsense rhymes. Kids are learning from that. Mm-hmm.
1: And we don't want to dumb it down. Sometimes people think, oh, well, what's an appropriate song or way to to sing to baby? If we look back again, pre-colonial Aotearoa, some of the most complex language through ori so sometimes that's translated to lullaby, but it's actually more complicated than that. It is sharing information about where you're from, so your papa, That was shared to babies in utero before they were even born. Because there was the inherent understanding that through the rhythm, like you're saying, and through those words and the repetition, that you're giving that child a sense of who they are, where they're from, who they might be, before they even enter this world. In terms of some wayata that shares stories of who we are, things that have been, the more they shared with baby, they will pick up on those words. So we don't need to always make things so simple. It is actually going back to that concept of trust and noticing and providing that opportunity. So I think that's helpful for parents who go, I'm not that into nursery rhymes or I don't want to sing Old MacDonald. You don't have to. You really don't. Like, actually... Your favourite song, sharing that with your baby, is probably going to have far more of an impact than doing something that you think you have to do. Now, that's
0: really because, insightful because of the meaning that's there, right? Because it matters to you. And that in itself mm-hmm. gets communicated, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we often talk about how children need to hear a new vocabulary and new words multiple times before they'll use it. But I'm not about to cuss on RNZ, so I won't say these swear words. We all <laughs> know them. But we know that... Um, child might need to hear the F word once or twice and suddenly use it so let's explore why that may be I mean it was might have been the perfect word used with such gusto at that moment and observing those reactions from everyone around them kids are pretty quick to pick that up you could even be two years old and think hey I'm going to use that word so it's the meaning and intention if we're sharing something with meaning children will pick it up if you're sharing a song with love because you love it and you're enjoying it, your kids are far more likely to engage with it. If you're doing it because you have to. So then if you're being told, sit down and play trains and you actually hate trains, just don't. There might be someone else in your family who likes doing it or the neighbour or a friend. They can, babies can tell if you don't want to be there or don't want to be doing something from a very young age, from a matter of months. They can tell if you don't want to be there. So don't feel pressured to do something to grow their language or grow their brain, because actually you being in a position where you want to be there, saying things you want to say
0: will make more of a difference. Ni mehi nui, Emma. Come back again. Thanks for your time. Emma Quiggin is uh, co-president of the Speech and Language Therapists Association, teaches at Mass University, co-founder of Talking Matters. Thanks for some of your own wisdom, which has been coming in too.